0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable: Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. So this morning, we get to continue our series in First Peter. We've been going through this book of First Peter, and we're taking nine weeks, and we're diving through the entire book. Uh, today, we're in week five, and we're going to be uh, diving into chapter two. And so our text for today is First Peter chapter two, and we're going to be looking at two verses, verses nine and ten. First Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten you want to turn there, Uh, if you have a copy of God's Word, or if you don't, go ahead and pull out your cell phone or whatever electronic device that you have and put in First Peter 2, 9 through 10. We use the English standard version here uh, so you can follow along. And what we're going to be looking at in First Peter 2, 9 through 10 is this question of identity. This question of who we are. You know, when we think about this idea of identity, the first thing that comes to my mind is if I were at a gathering or I were at a a work party or something and, and I didn't know the people that were there, I think of questions that I would ask the people who were there. You know, when you don't know somebody, what is the first question that you ask them? What is your name, right? And as conversation continues forward, after that person answered their name, maybe another question that you would ask is, well, why are you here? What are you doing here? What brings you to this event this evening? And these two questions are things that we use to establish our identity and what our purpose was for that evening. You know, as I start to think of that question, what is your name and what is your purpose? I think, I think through who I am. You know, if somebody asked me who I was, well, I'd say, my name's Andrew. Andrew. And if somebody asked me who I was, well, I would say, well, I am the husband to Stacy. I am the father of Kara, Dominic, Corbin, and another little one on the way. I'm a pastor. But as I think about these, they're definitely part of who I am, but they're not truly who I am. They're roles that I have the privilege and honor to play, and they help make up who I am. But at the core, that is not who I am. As we look at this question of identity, our identity is different for those who are in Christ. See, as we look at 1 Peter today, we're going to see that the first identifying characteristic of a person who is in Christ is that we are God's redeemed people, that we belong to God. He has purchased us with his blood, and we are a people for himself. It's really interesting as we think of this idea of identity living in the United States. Because in the United States, we live in a very individualistic culture. And we're trying to understand as we read through scripture, a culture that is very communal oriented. Where people live together, they shared life together, and they thought of the community. And what we're looking at in First Peter today is that our identity, our first and foremost identity, is a son or daughter of God is that we are God's redeemed people. We together, as the church, are God's redeemed people. So as we look at this text, we're going to be answering three questions today. First, we're going to find out who we are. Second, we're going to know why we're here. And third, we're going to know what God did for us. So 1 Peter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That's who we are. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Now, as we look at this text, we have to look at the fact that this, uh, this, this verse begins with the word, but... Now, what you have to understand, this word is what's called an adversative. What it means is it's comparing itself, it's negating what was just said. And what was just said in verse 8 is that there were those that are destined to stumble over the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and are destined to disobey God. But what happens here is Peter turns from talking about that audience, those people who are destined to disobey God, And he says, but you, he turns back to his audience, which is the elect exiles who are scattered about modern day Turkey. He says, but you, and this is an emphatic way to say this. He says, listen, there are those that are destined to disobey, but you, this is who you are. And if you are in Christ today, listen to these words. If you are not in Christ today, You can be in Christ. You can surrender your life to God. You can confess your sins before God, realizing that you have committed a treason against a holy God by your very way of life and by your very nature and your actions, and then turning to God, confessing your sins before him, asking God to save you, realizing you could never do this on your own, asking God to take your life and to make you right before him then these truths too can be true of you. But for the Christian, this is who this is written to, the first thing we see is that you are a chosen race. Now, as we look at this idea of chosen race, it comes from Isaiah 43, verses 20 through 21. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Also in Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, God says this of the nation of Israel, for you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God. And so as we look at these texts, this is talking about the nation of Israel. You see, God, from the beginning of time, chose for himself a people. And as we look at the Old Testament, the people who he chose for himself is the nation of Israel. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, this isn't because they're some huge people group. In fact, they're a very small people group. But God has chosen them for himself because he loved them. Now what's very interesting here is we're seeing something astronomical happening. So what Peter is doing here is he has taken the identity that God put on the people of Israel and he is now putting that same identity on the people of God, the church. You see, in the Old Testament, it was only the people of Israel that were chosen by God. If you were not of the nation of Israel, then you were not part of God's chosen people. Which means the majority of us, unless you are Jewish, would be in a lot of trouble. But what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ is that God made himself a new people. And that people is all those who are in Christ. And so what we see here is we see that there are two things uh, that this people are identified as. We see two words. First, we see the word chosen. No, we have to look at this word and realize that if you are in Christ, God has chosen you. Think about that. I think sometimes we read the words of scripture and we kind of gloss over them. God chose you. If you are in Christ, before the foundation of the world, God chose you. And it's not because of anything we did. Listen, this idea of God choosing us is one of the most beautiful teachings in all of Scripture. And it is throughout the entire Scripture. Let's just look at some of those passages. John 15, 16, Jesus says, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Acts 13, 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. This says, as many as had been appointed. Now who appointed them to eternal life? Well, God appointed them to eternal life. And there were those that were appointed to eternal life. And there were those that were not appointed to eternal life. It says, as many as had been appointed to eternal life, they were the ones who believed. Romans 9.13. Uh, This is coming off of uh, the apostle Paul talking about the fact of the the children of Isaac, Jacob and Esau, that, that before either one of them were born and they did anything either good or bad, God did this. He said, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. The text continues, what shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the will of man, nor the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Romans 11:5. In the same way then there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. First Corinthians 1 9. God is faithful, through whom you were called into fellowship with his son. Ephesians 1 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself. And finally, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you. Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. It couldn't be any clearer. The Lord, in his sovereignty, chose those who would come to him before the foundation of the world. That if you are in Christ today, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then you were chosen by God before the foundation of the world. The creator of the universe looked down the quarters of time and said, I want that one. He did that before the foundation of the world. And he did it not based on anything that we did at all. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were of noble birth. Not many were powerful. But God chose the foolish things in the world, the shame, the wise. God chose what is low and despised to bring the nothing, the things that are, so that we may boast in him, and the one who boasts may boast in the Lord. That's powerful stuff. When you grasp that, it will change the way you live. Because you sit there and you go, okay. I see continually in scripture that God chose me. The first question that comes in our mind is why? Why did he choose me? Because he loves you. Well, what did I do to, for him to love me? Absolutely nothing. What? You've heard the word unconditional love before, right? love without strings. We did nothing to earn his love, but he loves us if you are in Christ. Just take some time and sit with that. Take some time today and sit with that. That the creator God of the universe chose you you are chosen. And it does not only say that we are chosen, but we are a chosen race. Now, it's fascinating because as we look at these texts, it's important to remember who wrote the letters that we're reading. This was written written by Peter, who was a Jewish man, a Jewish fisherman who God called to himself from his business He and his brother Andrew came and and they started following Jesus. And Peter had his ups and downs throughout his life with Jesus Christ. He was the one who stepped out of the boat and walked on water for his faith in Jesus Christ. He's also the one who looked away from Jesus and sunk down into the water. He is the one that proclaimed that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord. He is the one who God appointed as the apostle to the Jewish community. And this Jewish man is saying that you are a chosen race. Now, if he was just writing to Jews, this would make a lot of sense. But he's not. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles. Jews and those who aren't Jews. Now, the Jews, they hated the Gentiles. They thought they were worthless. In fact, they called them worse than dogs. The Gentiles, they thought the Jews were wicked, evil people. They hated each other. And what Peter says here is he says, you are a chosen race. Now, it's important as we look at the text of Scripture to remember once again that it's written to communities. Because when we see this word, you, we think about ourselves, me individually. But this word is a second person plural word. The way it would be translated is you all. Or if you're from the south, it'd be y'all. Or if you're from around this area, you guys. <laughs> this is communal. Communal. So wait, what he just said just blew away the Jewish idea of privileged ethnicity and it blew away the idea of the Gentiles being a lesser group. He just said, you all, Jews and Gentiles, he made no caveats. He said, you all are a chosen race. Now that's a word that we've heard talked about more in our society than in the last 50 years. And what's happening in our society today is that our society wants to divide us based upon racial groups. And brothers and sisters in Christ can start warring because of these things. Now what we have to realize is that ethnicity is an absolutely beautiful thing from the Lord. It's an absolutely beautiful thing that God has chosen for himself peoples from every tribe and nation and tongue. And Revelation says that as we worship the Lord and Savior, we will all come together as one people and worship him. And it will be a beautiful display of all of God's amazing plethora of nations. Yet what Peter is saying here is that it is not first our ethnicity that defines us. It is our place in Jesus. In fact, our race is in Christ. That is who the people of God No matter what our ethnic background is, no matter what our skin tone is, it doesn't matter. We are all in Christ. We are all on the same level playing field. We are all beautiful and holy in the eyes of God. We are all one family in Jesus Christ, and that is our identity. That is who we are. We are chosen people of God. And it's an incredible truth that we never discriminate against each other because of our ethnicities. We also never prize that over our relationship with Jesus and our our beautiful calling to this new chosen race. In fact, later on it says that we are a holy nation. We, in fact, Are a different nation than America. We're a holy nation, one that's set apart, one that is in Jesus Christ. That's incredible. We are in Christ, and that is our identity. We are a man or woman of God. That's incredible. We all are a chosen race. Text continues. It says, we are a royal priesthood. Now, this idea of a royal priesthood comes from Exodus 19.4. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. Okay, that's God saying that. Think about that. You will be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Now these promises, you have to remember, were only to the nation of Israel before. Before Jesus But now we look here and look at what Peter says. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You all, Jews and Gentiles, were a royal priesthood. Now you have to think back. It's hard to identify with some of this language because we don't really have priesthoods in the way that they had them in the Jewish culture. Can you imagine being a Jewish person? And the only time you got to go anywhere near the presence of God is when you went up to the temple to sacrifice for your sins. And it was somebody who had to mediate on your behalf. There was a priest there who took the sacrifice and they sacrificed the animal for your sins. And then there was only one guy, one time a year, who actually got to go before the very presence of God. One guy, one time a year. And it was completely based upon what family you were born into. You couldn't earn priesthood. You had to be part of what's called the Levitical line. You had to be from the tribe of Levi. So think about that. Think about that for the Jews who heard this. Think about that for the Gentiles who heard this. We are all now representatives of God who get to be before the very presence of God. We talked about last week there was this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies where God's presence resided from the rest of the temple. But what happened to the cross of Jesus Christ is that that curtain it ripped in two, and that's very important because that represents God opening up his presence to all those who come to him. We can have direct communication with God. We don't need a mediator. Because we have Christ in us. And we can go before the throne of God boldly the creator of the universe, we're a royal priesthood. And not only are we a priesthood, we are a royal priesthood. Now again, it's hard to grab this concept of royalty because we don't live in a monarchy, we don't have a king. But if you think about those places where there's actually a king, that family is prized over any other family. In those countries, their lives matter more than every other person. They are the highest echelon of society. And what this says is that because we are in Christ, we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's your identity. That's our identity as the church. We're a kingdom of priests, and we're royal. Continues, it says, we're a holy nation. We're a set-apart nation. Our king is Jesus. Our goal is the glory of his name. And then this one. This is a powerful one. We are a people for his own possession. Now, let that one sink in if you're having self-worth issues. Wow. Wow. If you're in Christ, you're a people for God's own possession. He made you for himself. We are God's prized possession. Think about it, all the way back to Genesis. God's creating the world. And he keeps creating and he keeps creating, saying everything is good. But then on the sixth day, he creates the very pinnacle of creation. And that was us. Wait, you mean like the sun wasn't the pinnacle of his creation? Sunsets and sunrises are absolutely amazing. What about the mountains? What about the stars? What about the moon? What about the universe? What about the galaxies? What about all these things? What about the angels? Whoa. You're the pinnacle of God's creation. And he wants to be our God. That's why he chose you. Because he wants you. It says in Ephesians that we're his inheritance. We are what he gets. Wait a minute, I thought God was all sufficient. He is all sufficient. But there's something within that, that God desires to have a people for himself. Namely, those who put their faith in Jesus. Jesus. It's incredible when we realize what our identity is and it's so important for us to realize what our identity is before we go forward because who we are is a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for his own possessions. Now we get a privilege within this. The text continues and tells us why we are here. That's the second thing we're looking at. Why are we here? It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions, that, now when we see this word, it tells us why, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now let me ask you this question. Have any of you been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light? Amen. He called you out of darkness. Now, we were in darkness in two ways. Intellectually, unable to understand the things of the Spirit of God. Unable to understand the things of God. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the very power of God. Intellectually, we are darkened. Morally, we are darkened. We are unable to please God in our actions without the Holy Spirit. We are unable to live a righteous life. We are unable to live before His presence. We are unable to please Him because of our sinful nature and because of our flesh and what we go after. When the Spirit comes in and makes you new, You are now made righteous in right standing with God. He did it once again. He's the one who allows us to understand the things of the spirit of God and he is the one who makes us right standing with him. So we get to proclaim his excellencies. That's incredible. This here today, Standing in the waters of baptism. Saying, I renounce Satan in this world and I proclaim to live for Jesus Christ alone. Sharing this story of God saving somebody is proclaiming his excellencies. Hearing the stories of parents who have prayed for years for their child to come to know Jesus and then it happens is proclaiming God's excellencies. Seeing people who are running away from God in darkness, having light shine into that darkness and they come to the realization, Jesus is Lord. I'm a sinner. I need, to, I need to give my life to Jesus and I don't want to live that way anymore. I want to live for him. Because he's that amazing. It's proclaiming his excellencies. And it's a privilege and an honor that we get to do. We get to proclaim his excellencies. This is to speak of all he has done and all he is. There's so much that we can proclaim. And that is our purpose in this life. Our purpose in this life is to honor and glorify God. Our purpose in this life is to praise him. If you're sitting here today and you're wondering, why am I alive? What is my purpose? Your purpose is to praise and worship and proclaim the excellencies of God. That's why nothing else really seems to fulfill. That's why you keep chasing after things. You're like, if I just get that next promotion, then I am going to have peace. If I can just get that house, I will be satisfied. If she will just say yes to a date with me, I know I will be truly fulfilled. Yet, it is only in Christ that we will truly find our peace, our fulfillment, our satisfaction, our ultimate joy. And we can proclaim his excellencies. We get that honor and we get that privilege. And the purpose of our lives is to glorify his name. Uh, There's this book called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. When you heard that title, you went, That sounds like a terrible book. (laughs) But what it is, it's a book written by pastors, and it asks really important questions that the scripture answers. And if you parents or even if you're looking for something to deepen your faith overall, this is a great tool because it asks questions and then it gives the answers. The first question in this shorter catechism is the question of what is the chief end of man. What's the purpose? The answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those are two Incredible things. We get to glorify God. That means to make his name famous. That means to say, look, God is the most amazing thing you can ever experience in this life and the life to come. He's the only one who can save. He's the only one who changed lives. He's the only one who gives true peace and true joy and true hope and true freedom. That's who he is. And then guess what? You get to be in relationship with him. And so they they work on each other. Like when you love this relationship with God and you invest into it and you pray to him and you read the word and you get to know who he is and you see things like this. This is two verses. Two verses. The riches of it are insane. When you see that, then it's, I want to just proclaim his excellencies. glorify God, and we get to enjoy him forever. That's our ultimate purpose. And the fuel that drives all of this is to know what God has done for us. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. One time, you did not have the mercy of God. One time, you were living a life for yourself. You know your testimony. You know your story. You know if you have a prodigal son story where you went and lived out the things of this world and partied and did all that stuff. You, or if you have the, the self-righteous Pharisee story where you trusted in your own deeds and you were a really moral person and you just tried to do everything right and then you realize one day, oh man, I can't save myself. You both have been forgiven of wickedness and idolatry and rebellion against God. You've been called out of darkness and to his marvelous light. Christ gave his one and only son whom he loved to die the most torturous death ever devised by mankind so that those who put their faith and trust in him would be forgiven of their sins, would be made in right relationship with God, would get to enjoy him forever, would get to proclaim his excellencies, and would get to be with him for all eternity. Amen? If you're thinking logically God got the short end of the stick. I'll give you all my sins. I'll give you all my wickedness. I'll give you all my, all my things that I've tried to do to please you. This is all I have to offer, God. He says, that's, that's not good enough. But I have something I'll give you. I'll give you my grace, I'll give you my mercy. I'll give you my forgiveness. I'll give you my son. I'll give you a relationship with me. I'll take those sins and I'll wipe them away from you. I will, I will separate them as far as the east is from the west. That's what the word says. That's how far your sins have been separated from you if you're in Christ. So as we close today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, today's the day of your salvation. It's just realizing that there's absolutely nothing you can do to save yourself. And you don't have to clean yourself up before you come to God. He wants you just how you are. He wants you in all of your sin. He wants you in the, in the darkest place that you're at because he will save you out of that darkness and bring you into his marvelous light. And in that, he will get great glory. Glory. So if you don't know Jesus as your savior today, go before God and say, God, I know I'm a sinner. God, I know that I can never earn right relationship with you. God, I know that I need your forgiveness and I ask you for it. And God, I give my life to you. I will live it for you and not for me. The day I die to my old self, and the day I give myself to you from this day forward, and live it out. If you know Christ as your Savior, remember that you're chosen, you're precious, you're holy, you're prized, you're His own possession and you get to proclaim his excellencies from this day all through eternity. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together.